0: Hey, if you have your Bible, want will turn there with me this morning. Uh, she started out with the old rugged cross. I want to talk about the magnetism of the cross this morning because Jesus said something that was so significant about the cross. So if you have your Bible, you want to use your iPhone or your iPad, turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And I want to read these, uh, just these two verses. The context is obviously as Jesus predicting his death and uh, reminding his disciples that he is preparing himself for the journey uh, to the cross. And so he says, really, remember on some occasions Jesus said, don't touch me, my hour has not come, don't tell anybody. Uh, It's kind of interesting here. But uh, now Jesus says in verse 31, Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now's the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Now think about this. When I first read that, if you leave off the last sentence and he says, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to me, your mind, your thoughts immediately go to the resurrection. Because see, we have the benefit of looking backward to see what happened. But when Jesus spoke this, the crowds had gathered, and think about this too. The crowds had gathered, What it says when Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, And they were laying down palm branches and they were singing, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They didn't have any Facebook. They didn't have text. They didn't have email. They didn't have WLKY, WHAS, WDRB. They did not have local cable to say, hey, guess what? Jesus is showing up in town next week to gather a crowd. But there was a crowd anyway. So obviously, some people had been talking about what Jesus was doing and healing the sick and teaching with authority the Word of God and all the wonderful things He was doing, otherwise there wouldn't be a crowd. Now think about that. One of the things that you and I get to do is probably, we could create a crowd on Easter if we just invited someone to come with us, couldn't we? We could create a crowd, we could get a crowd. Hey, listen, crowds, even at March Madness now with limited fan base, there's a lot of noise going on. And if it wasn't for COVID, there would be, there would be gymnasiums full of people all over this country, 20,000 people. 15,000 people, because that's what we do to gather a crowd. March Madness, wow, I stayed up too late last night watching Abilene Christian beat Texas. It was March Madness. There's a, I guarantee you there was a crowd of people somewhere uh, celebrating the victory that they knew. So, but I'm just saying in Jesus' day, unlike ours, when we may have people get out to watch baseball or they think about football in the fall or, oh, by the way, the Masters Golf Tournament, There'll be people lined up probably from one end of the course to the other in April. So we're talking about all of the marketing strategies that go into gathering crowds today didn't exist when Jesus said these words. So immediately people would have thought about something other than the resurrection. And so Jesus wanted to clarify that. He said, now, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Okay. Thus he spoke the kind of death he was going to die. He knew that this was going to be a challenge. This was gonna be a struggle. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, he even prayed, Lord, if this cup could pass from me, I would choose that path. But my purpose, my mission, my ultimate goal is to make God look great because of my mission and make man glad in God's greatness through the cross. So he's lifted up. You know, Billy Graham said, uh, the ground is level at the cross. He also said in one of his books, he said if you want to start a fire, renew, restore, refresh, renew the, the pilgrimage of your own heart with God, just start at the cross. Just start at the cross where we see a suffering servant. That's what Isaiah called Jesus, the suffering servant. But here's the most powerful force the greatest magnetism. Matter of fact, I had a friend who worked at Crucible Steel when it was a plant in Elizabethtown years ago. He came there uh, from Chicago as the president and CEO of Crucible Steel. And I had the privilege to be his pastor at Severance Valley. He brought me a magnet. I mean, it was probably that big. Matter of fact, I had to be careful where I set it in the house, you know, because it was so powerful, it would draw things to it. Maybe some things you didn't wanna be drawn to it uh, that would ruin it. The most powerful, biggest magnet I've ever seen. He gave that to me and I thought, my goodness, that is a powerful, powerful thing. And then obviously that's what they did. They built these magnetic uh, instruments and he used to fly all over the world, teaching others about how the magnetism uh, would work in certain situations. Well, long before we ever thought about a magnet factory, and the power of a magnet, Jesus was talking about the magnetism of the cross. If I be lifted up, I'll draw everyone to me. Now, what does that say about Jesus? Well, first of all, it says uh, something about his love for us. There's the magnetism of love. You know, love is a powerful thing. And love causes people to uh, get down on their knee with a ring and say, will you marry me? And love allows someone to stand up and say, yes, love is a powerful thing. Love causes a grandchild to come in the back door and run through the kitchen and say, "Papa!" and throw out their arms. And love causes Papa to get out on his knees, open his wallet and say, whatever you want. <laughs> love is a powerful thing. It's the magnetism. But in this case, it's an incarnate love. It's the love of God taking upon himself human form to die a human death in order to cover human sin, our faults. So he came to earth, he didn't come to seek wealth. He didn't really come to seek a crowd, no. He didn't come to give a presidential speech. He didn't come to make some CDC announcement. He came simply out of love, revealing God to us. And that's what 1 John 4, 9 says. Watch this, this is how God showed His love among us. You wanna know, how does God show it? I know God loves me. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So there is the magnetism of God's love for us. And His only crime was loving beyond reason Loving without boundary and loving enough to die on the cross. And guess what? He pursues us. He pursues us. That's the power of his love. There's also the magnetism of the word we use for grace, G-R-A-C-E. I call this God's riches at Christ's expense. And it simply reminds us of how none of us are righteous. None of us. We don't measure up. We just we can't measure up. We, we try we try to measure up ourselves. We you know we start a, a workout regimen and you know we if we're not careful we, we kind of fall off the rails. We we start a diet we kind of fall off the rails. Uh, we start a good uh, pattern of reading the Bible or praying regular or giving some meditation to God we fall off the rails. Because we don't meet our own expectations. We, we start say, okay, God, listen, during this Lent season, I'm going to worship you, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to focus on God, and we, if we're not careful, we fall off the rail. We just have to admit that we're sinners. You know, to become a Christian, this, right here, I learned this at Vacation Bible School. Hopefully we get to do this year. We have to admit that we've all sinned. We have to believe that, that God loved us, just what I've talked about, just what Lily read, and we have to confess Him as our Savior. You believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, with the mouth made his confession to salvation, and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a simple formula, A-B-C, but it's true, and that's what grace is. And that's why the greatest need we have is God's forgiveness. And so the difference, listen to this. Let me quote uh, someone who was much more profound at expressing things than me. And I'll read this to you and I quote, the difference among us is not that some are sinners and others are not, it is only the degree of our sin. Jesus' death on the cross is God's answer to man's sin. In his death, God offers us cleansing and forgiveness. And then Hebrews 10, 17 says, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Listen friends, that is God's grace. That any lawless rejection, abandonment, avoidance, deliberate, moving away from God, God says, I will forgive you. Because he says, listen, here is my grace offered to everyone. And if I'm lifted up, I'll draw them into me and I will welcome anybody. That's how much I love you. And that's the power of grace. You know, um, Alan Walworth was a, He was a pastor, but his brother used to have an office next to mine at the Kentucky Baptist, Church. well, actually back to back. <laughs> Sometimes we'd do code, you know, knock on the wall and uh, do that kind of thing like kids would do uh, in a classroom. But uh, we were talking one day about during the Lent season about cross and about God's love and about grace. And he said, I got the perfect story for you, preacher. He, he wasn't a preacher, he was in a music ministry. He said, uh, my, when I was growing up, my, my, my brother, and, and he put a, he had an older brother, a middle brother, a youngest brother, and a little sister, and he said, uh, my older brother decided that uh, he, he wanted some space on his own, and so he put a note on his door that went into the bedroom. He put a note on his door. It said, keep out, and he said, well, the middle brother, decided since the older brother had already put the sign on the door that said, keep out, he'd make up his own sign, and so he put a sign on his door that said, members only. So that left the, the youngest brother and uh, he figured out how to at least keep somebody out of his room, so he put a note on his door that said, no girls allowed and the little sister put a note on her door and it said anybody welcome oh that's what the cross says that's why Jesus said if I be lifted up I'll draw men to me speak in the manner of which death he would die love you enough put a sign out there it says welcome you sinners <laughs> welcome you sinners because my grace is sufficient and all those lawless acts will be remembered no more. You know, we sing a song, I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed that thou might ransom me and quicken from the dead. I gave, I gave my life for thee. Which leads me to the third thing this passage teaches us. And that is the magnetism of victory. Oh my goodness. So many upsets already in March Madness. I mean, I'm watching uh, Orr Roberts. Oral Roberts. You know, Sue Ann reminded me of something that Oral Roberts did one time. We were doing a capital campaign like we're going to do here in the fall. We're going to entitle our capital campaign, uh, Embrace Tomorrow. And we did a capital campaign at Living Hope Baptist Church back in the 80s. Uh, We were trying to build a children, preschool and children's building. And... So, uh, about that time, Oral Roberts was in, in out, you know, where he started his university. It has been a success, but Oral Roberts, you know, was a, he's kind of health and wealth kind of preacher, you know, he would make some bold predictions. Some of them came, some of them happened, but one of those predictions was he, he built a prayer tower. He went up into prayer tower and he said, I'm not coming down until somebody gives $8 million. Yeah, Sue N. said, why don't you try that this fall? <laughs> in the capital campaign, I said, Hey, listen, if there's one thing I've learned in 54 years as a pastor, don't base people's response on what I'm gonna do about money, okay? Because here's what I know if somebody had the power to do that, here's what they would do. They would wait till I died in that tower and give it in my memory, (laughs) not give it in my honor. You see, but here's the thing. God says, I have uh, brought you this victory And so Oral Roberts University, matter of fact, I had to leave before the, before the, you know, they came back and reported on Oral Roberts winning that game. And and said, I was talking to her, she said, you know what these boys in Oral Roberts, she said, they're over in the corner praying. I thought, that's a good thing. Stop and give God thanks. Now God doesn't care if Oral Roberts beats uh, whomever. I, I prayed a lot when the National Anthem was going on, I was playing basketball, we still lost. I kind of figured God wasn't really gonna take sides, but God would really help me to honor him in doing the best I could do. And I think that's the way God looks at our lives. You see, because he wants us to say, now watch, you may lose a ball game, you may be an upset and have a great victory celebration, but it's only temporary. You know what, we talk about March, glad- uh, March Madness, I love it. I, that's why I stayed up till 1230 this morning watching that game. I love March Madness. But I'm going to tell you what. For everyone except one team, it's going to be March Sadness. Right? There's only one team going to be left the winner. The rest of them is going to have a little grief, a little sadness. Not so if you're a follower of Jesus. You see, there is no March Sadness. There is no cross Sadness. Because Jesus took that on himself. And so all of a sudden, the cross marked the ultimate victory. The struggle between light and darkness, good and evil, God has won it. The victory we have is a doorway to eternal life. And that's why we talk about the... That's why Jesus said the victory we have in Christ is the power of His peace and His rest and His victory on us, not only in this life, but for eternity. Charles Spurgeon said, the most earnest Christian must sometimes have his doubts... As to whether all is right with him and his God. The more sincere a person is, the more he does tremble, lest he should deceive himself. Listen, don't deceive yourself by thinking because you're good, because you uh, experienced something, somebody dedicated you as a baby, as a child, or you experienced what some cultures call uh, baptism as a baby, or because you've been good, you paid your taxes, uh, you've done all the right things. Don't deceive yourself by thinking uh, by thinking that what you do can get you the victory that only God can give you. He says this is the this is cross. And so when you rest in the cross, you enjoy the victory. Uh, this is a glorious mag- magnetic thing. And, it, and this is why Josh gave us that verse. And you all know it. You all know it, would y'all? I know you know it, but memory, would you just say it with me? You can say it from your heart or just read it with me. Let's read this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You know, sometimes we think that uh, other things might get by us some favor with God. You know, I had this great idea one time when my grandson William, I can't believe this has been 10 years ago, but he was four years old, he's 14, just turned 14, Uh, that when he was four years old, I had this bright idea to give him a wallet and to give him $50 in $1 bills, because he was learning how to count to certain numbers. So I thought, number one, he'd like this nice, bright wallet that I gave him. Two, he would love looking at that, Rectangular paper and counting it, one up to 50. So I thought that was a great gift. And uh, so I gave it to him, and course, this was Christmas time. And, um, and everybody else was opening their presents. Of course, he had other gifts to open too. And when he opened that little gift, Greg, and he looked at that wallet and those $51 bills, he, he kind of looked at it. And then he laid it down. He went on to something more exciting because that wasn't too exciting to a four-year-old, a wallet with $51 bills, especially when other bright papers and toys were being opened and they were being given to him. So, I was a little disappointed, quite frankly. But two weeks later, he called me on the phone. He said, "Papa," he said, I really like rectangular money. (laughs) Now, what made the difference? Well, his dad took him to Toys R Us. With his $51 bills, he showed William what he could buy with his rectangular money. So all of a sudden, it went from no big deal to a big deal. And to this day, I remind William, I said, William, I got some rectangular money. He always thinks green rectangular money always fits, especially at 14 years old. I want to tell you, Jesus' death on the cross is like rectangular money to a four year old who learns what $51 bills will purchase and not just what they are. And so the magnetism is the cross is to be able to say, this is where I will anchor my life in Jesus Christ. Let me invite you to stand with me and bow your head if you would. Maybe there's someone here this morning that you come before the cross, and you stand at the cross, and you thought about the cross. But as you bow your head this morning, maybe you have, a, maybe you even have on a cross necklace, or people. Hey, listen, I know, I see friends at the gym with cross tattoos on the on their backside of their wrist, or on their arm, or somewhere. I see people using the symbolism of the cross. You know why we do that? Because what Jesus did on the cross, took a minus, a death, and turned it into love and grace and victory. That's what Jesus did. So now when you look at the cross, you don't see a minus sign, you see a plus. So let me invite you, if you've never admitted your need of a savior, If you've never truly just in your heart said, God, you know what, I'm, I'm a sinner. Not because I've done so many things wrong, but I just know if it took Jesus' death on the cross, and surely I need some way to measure up to God's expectations more beyond just me trying to be a good person. So I really do fall short of God's glory. And if you believe that Christ died for you and you would be willing to acknowledge that and just say a simple, um, willful decision in your heart to trust in Christ, then you can commit your life to Him. You say, well, how would I do that? Well, a lot of people here would know what we call the sinner's prayer. We just say, Lord Jesus, please be my Savior. I will trust in You. I will follow You. I I want to experience Your grace, Your love, your victory in my own personal life because of your death on the cross. Would you pray that prayer? Would you trust it? Hey, I want, If you want to come forward, that's fine. And confirm that. Maybe someone here, as a Christian, you found that you know uh, your your heart has grown wayward and and distance, and uh, you need to rekindle the flame of your love for Jesus. As Billy Graham said, no greater place than to start at the foot of the cross. Humble ourselves, renew our lives in Jesus. So, God, I just ask you now, if there's one here that uh, that you, that are pondering what that cross means for them, that they will embrace it and they will see your sacrifice. They will know you pursuing them out of your love for them. Thank you for being lifted up and being able to draw us to a new awareness, we need a savior. And in Christ, we have a savior. And the old rugged cross that was in Jesus' day is good for our day. In Jesus' name, amen.